Ephesians chapter 6, as, uh, we're going to continue our study here in Ephesians. We'll begin in verse 13 and reads through verse 17. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it is living and powerful. And we pray that by your word today you would move in our hearts, God, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would make us more like you. Lord, pour out your spirit in this place. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that your presence is known here and now among your people, inhabiting the praises of your people. Lord, we love you and we trust you and we ask that you lead us and guide us today. And it's in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Today we continue this study in Ephesians and we've been looking at the necessity of putting on the armor of God. And now we begin this week, we start to unpack that armor and what it looks like, and what these things mean, and, and the purpose for this armor, and how we put it on, we take up this armor, we put it on, and we prepare ourselves for battle. Verse 13, beginning there, it says, therefore, and so that, that therefore brings us back and connects us to the previous verses. Now that we've recognized, as we talked about last week, and if you weren't with us, I'll remind you, we talked about the fact that the battle is real. There, there is a battle going on, a spiritual battle that's not between flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness and wickedness and all these difficult things. There's a spiritual battle going on, and we need to recognize that. It's happening. We're not going to make it happen. We're, we're going into the battle because it's right there waiting for us. And so we recognize that the battle is real. We recognize further that God has prepared us for the battle. He's, pre he's prepared and he's provided everything that we need. He's given us everything we need to be equipped for the battle. He's given us his armor. He says, here's my armor, put it on. And we operate from a place of victory. These are the things that we're reminded of. That's what we studied and talked about last week. And so this therefore brings us into this passage here. Now with all of that understanding, that the, knowing that the battle's real, that God has prepared us and God has equipped us with his armor, now with that understanding, we are told to here take up the whole armor of God. Now, Paul before said to put on the armor. And that was an introduction really to this. And in that introduction, it was a general statement about the armor of God. And now, this is the beginning of a very specific statement of, and a specific description and explanation of God's armor. 
The translation here for the word to take up is to say, prepare to use it. We could talk about the armor in the general sense, and, and we could say, I need to put on the armor of God. And we remember, as we talked about last week, it's not just one and done, that you put on the armor and then you're covered. You need to be regularly putting on the armor, but that's, in a general sense, that's great to say it. I need to put the armor of God on. But now we get to break it down. We, we, get, to, we get to dig deep into what this armor is. And as Paul says here now, take up. He's saying, now prepare to use it. You don't just put the armor on to look good. You don't just put the armor on so that you can look like you're ready for battle. Right now, when I was a kid, playing baseball growing up, uh, there was this, this point we graduate from the, you know, like the little leagues up to like the big leagues, right? And at 13 years old, you graduate, and then you got like the real uniform. Right? We had like the t-shirts with the sponsor's name on the back. Right? Then we got the real uniform, that button-down jersey with your own number on the back. And it was so exciting. And I remember I wanted to wear that thing everywhere, not just on the baseball field. I was like, I'm going to wear it to my friend's birthday party. I'm going to wear it out here. And my parents were like, you can't wear that every day. It's got to be clean and ready for your baseball game, right? And, and I just, I remember, and it wasn't, I, look, I'm a Yankee fan. It wasn't even a Yankee jersey, but I wanted to wear that. I wanted to look the part. I wanted to look good. I loved the way that jersey was fresh. It was clean. But it didn't matter if I wore it out and about. It didn't make a difference. I wasn't ready for the battle. I wasn't ready to play baseball because I didn't have the rest of the equipment. But see, that's what we do sometimes. We say, oh, let me, in a general sense, let me put on the armor. Put on the armor of God. Now, he says, take it up. Prepare yourselves to use the armor. Don't just walk around trying to look the part of a soldier. Don't just walk around trying to look the part that you're ready for battle if you're not actually ready. You need to take it up so that you are ready to use it. And this is the purpose. We take up the armor, we prepare to use the armor that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, it says, and having done all to stand. This word stand is used repeatedly in these verses from, from verse 10 on through verse 18, 19, 20. This word stand is used repeatedly. Because the reality is that under the pressure and the weight of the world and the attacks that are coming against us, it is so easy for us to crumble under the pressure and to not stand, to say, you know what, I don't want to be in this battle. I just want to sit down. I want to water break. I want to sit on the couch. I want to take it easy. I don't want to have to fight this battle anymore. But Paul repeatedly says, stand, stand. Stand, and when you're so tired and your, your legs feel like they're gonna fail you, keep standing, don't give up. And so now we, put, we, we don't just put on the armor, but we prepare to use the armor. We take it up so that we can withstand in the evil day. And this is another reminder that we need strength. Speaking of not our ability, but of God's ability he's given us his armor and now we need to realize how great that armor is that's what paul is presenting to us god gave us his armor this is his armor and now let's talk about it let's talk about how great god's armor is and the word here withstand means to resist 
So not just being able to stand under the pressure and the weight, but actually able to resist and fight against the attacks of the enemy. All the work and all the preparation is for what? The evil day, as it says here. And as Paul told us as well in Ephesians 5.16, he said, the days are evil. Our purpose is to resist the wickedness of the days that are upon us. Remembering that our battle is not against flesh and blood. This armor is not to take on other people. That is a misuse of God's armor. A misrepresentation of God's armor. And you know what? We use it sometimes like that. We call it out. We put, Oh, man, I'm just going to put on my armor. I'm going to take up my sword. And we start using our sword to battle against people. It's a misuse of the armor of God. Our purpose is to resist, withstand, to resist the wickedness of the days that are upon us, not against flesh and blood. We're to stand strong against the work of the enemy in the world. We're to be different as a church. We're not supposed to just fall in line with the ways of the world. And Paul told us so much about this already in, in resisting temptation, right? Fleeing from sexual immorality and, and walking in righteousness and the newness of life and putting on Christ. And, and the interesting thing about all of this armor is we can point back to Christ. In each of these pieces, it points us right back to Christ. So Paul already introduced us to this idea when he said, put on Christ, and now we're putting on this armor, which is Christ, which is this relationship with him, that we may be able to stand. And this tells us further what the armor is useful for, to resist the devil and to stand strong. Here's some things that the Bible talks about that we could stand in. And that standing is, is a sure foundation that we could stand firm in confidence in what we believe. And here's what we can have confidence in. The grace of God. We could stand in grace. The gospel. The good news. We can stand, as we're told in scripture, to be strong and courageous. We could stand in courage as believers in Jesus Christ. We can be strong as believers in Jesus Christ. We can stand in faith. We can stand in freedom. We could stand in unity. And as Paul just said, and we studied last week, we can stand strong in the Lord. It doesn't matter how heavy the weight of the world is, how many attacks there are, we have been given the ability to stand. We've been given the ability to resist. Because we operate, as I've said so many times, from a place of victory. Truly, we stand strong on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Now, a lot comes from this word to stand, right? We stand against the, the attacks of the enemy. We stand in strength. We stand in, and we're not to be afraid. We can be confident and listen, we can be ready for the battle. That's why we're to take up the armor. We're prepared to use the armor so that we're ready because the battle is real and the battle is happening. 
further, verse 14, we get into now here how we are made to stand, right? It's with the armor. And here's the description now of this armor. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, again, remember I said this is God's armor that he has given to us. So let's take a look, right? If you get a new car, you get something special, somebody loans you a car, you're like, hey, this is a nice car. And you, 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 even, you, know, you want to check out all the bells and whistles. You want to figure out what's going on with all the features that it has. So here's God's armor. And so many times we just take God's armor like, yeah, I'll put on the armor, great. Like, let's check out the bells and whistles here. This is the greatest armor we could possibly have. Having girded your waist with truth. The belt of truth, as we've called it, and as maybe we've learned it since we were little kids in Sunday school, and we do like the paper bag breastplate of righteousness, and we do, right, we have the arts, we cut out of the cardboard and the sword and the shield, and right, it's a lot of fun, but... Here's the reality, right? That belt, and in that time, it was actually more of a girdle was the idea. It says, then girding up your garments and protecting, then, the midsection, the lower part of the body. The truth. The truth holds it all together. The truth is vital you see, without the belt, without the, the girdle, holding everything together, then we are not equipped for battle. This is, this is the, the part that prepares your whole body to be putting on the rest of the armor, that your garments would be girded up, that you are prepared and that you are protected in the lower half. Listen, and just as this Girdle would, be, would protect the vital life-giving organs. The truth protects what we sow. The truth protects what we produce, what comes out of us. It must be truth. We can't, we can't try to be effective without truth and standing on truth. We so many times will offer our opinion on the scripture. But we need the truth of the word of God. And listen, the devil is the father of lies. Deception is his business. So the truth is this first piece that we put on. We must not preach, teach, or share our opinion when battling against the enemy. Our opinion is useless. And you know what, I'll be honest, the, the, the older that we get and the more experience we have in life, the more we mistake our opinion for truth. Because we go through experiences and we think, oh, I've got it all figured out. Do we? Do we really, any of us, have anything figured out? No, no. Paul has made that very clear to us earlier in Ephesians, right? We were dead, dumb, deceived. This is all who we are, but made alive in Christ. And so here we are having nothing 
to offer of ourselves, yet we so often want to offer our opinions. We, our opinions will not stand against the attack of the enemy. But the truth stands. The truth resists. We must proclaim the truth of the word of God. And you know what? We won't apologize for it. As a church, this is what we stand on, right? Our vision statement as a church is we are committed to the word of God, first of all. And we're not going to apologize for it. And if you've been here for any amount of time, over the last several weeks, there's a lot of things that we've been studying in Scripture that some people would say, you should apologize for it. But we're not going to. Because it's the truth. And the truth makes us stand, not crumble, not falter. Further here, he speaks then of the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is protecting what? Our heart. These vital organs, how about our lungs, right? That's what the breastplate is for, these vital organs. Interesting. The two things that happen involuntarily in the human body, our heart beats and our lungs breathe. We don't have to tell ourselves to do it, right? Our brain doesn't send that signal. That is a God-given gift. The breath in our lungs, the beating of our heart is a God-given gift, and God cares very much about protecting these things. He cares so much about protecting the heart. It's all in his hands. He's interested in this, and this is truly speaking of living and breathing, right? In Acts chapter 17, it says, in him we live and move and have our being. It's in him that we live and move. It's in him that we breathe, and it's, and it's for him that we give our breath back to him. I love the song that we sing, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, that's what we have. And with that breath in our lungs, we're living and our heart is beating. And so what are we doing with this life that God has blessed us with each and every day? And not only has he blessed us with breath in our lungs, not only has he given us the ability to, to live and to breathe, but he also protects us. He's given us armor to protect these things and it's righteousness righteousness protects our hearts. Now, I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm not talking about the fact that, you know, this is our righteousness. If if I am a righteous person, if I do good things, then I'm all set. Then my heart is protected. No, remember, this is God's armor. And the breath in our lungs and the, the beating heart is a gift from God, and it is for him. And remember this, that we are clothed in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's in Christ 
It's not of ourselves. It's not a feeling of righteousness because we've done something good or right, but it's righteousness that's received by faith in Jesus. That we would understand our standing in the righteousness of God. That we would be not right in the eyes of man, but that we would be right with God. That is what protects our hearts. To be right with God is what protects us. So often, we do battle against flesh and blood, and we try to be right in the eyes of men. We try to be right before men, but we need to be right with God, that there's nothing separating us, that we are bringing our our sin before him. We're confessing our sin, and then he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. That's what protects our hearts. It's not the idea of being right or doing what's right, but standing in faith in Jesus. Getting right with God, being clothed in his righteousness. Further, verse 15, it says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. A key word here is the preparation. And that that word meaning, it is a prepared foundation. You've got to have your feet under you. I don't know if you've ever trained for fighting, right? Maybe boxing or I don't know, all the different things out there. But one of the key things, you've got to have your feet under you. You've got to have that center of gravity. You've got to have a prepared foundation. The gospel provides sure footing for everything we do and for everywhere we go. Our feet need to be prepared to stand strong and to take us wherever we need to go. And the journey can often be treacherous. Our feet need to be prepared. We're not going into battle barefoot. That's going to be painful. We're not going to be able to step properly. We're gonna be afraid of what we might step on, right? And that's just the simple reality, but to protect our feet is to have a prepared foundation, to be confident in the step that we would take in front of us. You know, the reality is we need the right shoes. We had a team just went to Israel and they walked probably like five to seven miles a day. Right, but If you go and you're trying to walk around barefoot on that trip, on that journey, you're going to be in a lot of pain. Not just your feet, but the rest of you. You're like, oh, my, why does my back hurt? Because I don't have the right shoes on. We need the right shoes. It affects our steps. It affects our footing. It affects our ability. It affects our stability. And it truly affects our whole body. Further in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7. This is the sure footing. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who proclaims peace. Who brings glad tidings of good things. Who proclaims salvation. Who says to Zion, 
your God reigns. No doubt this is a reference point for Paul, thinking about these beautiful feet, wonderful feet, precious feet that are so cared for in that sure footing, that prepared foundation, that each step that is taken is thought of carefully. And how is it done? It's by bringing good news, proclaiming peace. The gospel of peace. That's what prepares the way for us. And the gospel is peace. It's good news. It's Jesus, the prince of peace. Verse 16 then, it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And this above all here is not to say most importantly, but rather in addition to. Okay, so now you've put on these things. You've taken up and you put on the breastplate and, and you've put on the belt and you've prepared your feet for the battle. Now you are in addition to that to take up the shield of faith. This is so important, this shield of faith, because it's an active defense. The previous things here that we studied so far in the pieces of the armor are things that we put on and we have them and we keep them on to give us the ability to stand. And now this shield is an active defense. It can be moved, right? These other things are stationary. They're stuck on us. And they're, they're useful to help us stand, but now the shield is actually used to move and to protect us. And these following things, even after that, these are the things we take up to use for active battle. And here that shield is faith. Faith is the front line of defense. It quenches the attacks, the fiery darts. And, and this idea of the fiery darts is actually the idea of many attacks coming relentlessly from all different directions. And so if you have all the, the many darts coming relentlessly from all different directions, then why, what do you do with your shield? You move it and you prepare for it, but it's your front line of defense The fiery darts were also, in that day, the most massively destructive weapons because fire destroys. If it's just an arrow that's gonna pierce somebody, it's gonna do damage to that one person. But if you've got the fire attached to it, now it, takes, it hits its mark and then the fire spreads and causes mass destruction. The shield is to stop to prevent from the mass destruction before it even reaches the target. This shield described would be a massive shield that would cover the whole body, not just like this little, you know, like got it on your arm and like move it around. This is like a wall, an impenetrable wall that they would move, yes, but it, they could duck down behind it and literally keep 
themselves entirely behind such a shield. It's nearly impossible to penetrate, but also able to move in action. You see, faith is active. Faith is not just stationary. It doesn't just, we plant our shield and we just hide behind the shield and hope that we're okay. Faith is active. It moves. It's living. As James talks about, and the fiery darts are quenched by our faith, meaning that they are rendered useless. Real living faith is impenetrable. And this is faith in God, right? This is faith in the goodness of God. Because the enemy will show up and try to make you question and doubt, is God really good? Does God really love you? Is God really looking out for your best interest? What did the devil say? Surely you will not die. You see, God's just trying to keep this from you. That's the lie of the devil. But faith in God and being reminded, you know what? Absolutely, God is good. God does love me. We have faith in that. We have faith in the work of salvation when Jesus said, it is finished, so we stand in a place of victory. You see, sin is rooted in some form of doubt or unbelief. But faith eliminates doubt and brings confidence, not in ourselves or our abilities, but faith gives confidence in God who has won the battle. And faith is our great front line of defense. But let's put it to work. Let's not just try to hide behind the shield of faith that we've planted in the ground. Let's move it. Let's be prepared to take it with us and to go into battle. Verse 17 then, and take the helmet of salvation protecting the mind. You know, only the human mind can think and express thought in an organized, verbal, and articulate way. Only the human mind can reason. We were having a discussion yesterday, some people about AI, artificial intelligence, and these things that are like, man, they're just, it's gonna take over the world. But you know what it can't do? It can't reason together. Yeah, they have algorithms and they try to make predictions of, hey, you, you, you're, you're somebody who likes this type of thing, so here's an advertisement for that type of thing, right? They try to, to lead us, but they can't reason with us. Only the human mind can reason. There's no beast or animal that can reason I've got a dog and all his reasoning is, is food. If you're preparing something, I mean, as soon as you open like the package of whatever it is, here he comes. What you got? 
Like, dude, it's, I'm making a sandwich, you know, and here he comes. That's his only reasoning ability. His only ability to think is, feed me. But you see, we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And in this human mind, it's so intricate. And we have the ability to articulate thought and feeling and reasoning together. Therefore, we must protect this gift, the God-given gift of our mind. And God gives us a helmet to protect our thoughts from satanic influence. We need to protect our minds because the mind makes a convert of the heart. So how do we do that? Salvation. Relationship with Jesus Christ protects our minds and gives us the ability to deny the flesh, right, that the beasts of the world do not have the ability to do, but it gives us the ability to deny the flesh. It gives us the ability to put on the mind of Christ. It gives us the ability to think on the things above. You see, the devil goes after the mind, the thoughts, Sometimes when you're on your own in a quiet place, it's sometimes all the thoughts start going through, right? Racing through your mind. And the, the lies of the devil will catch up to you in those times. We need the helmet of salvation to protect those thoughts as the devil goes after the mind. And what he's doing in this attack of the mind is trying to keep our thoughts on the things of this earth. But salvation, he's begotten us again to a living hope. And there's no hope in this world, guys, I'm sorry to tell you. But that hope is eternal. And so as we take our minds and we fix them on the things above, that's only in Christ. It's only through salvation that we are able to set our mind on things above and off of the things of this world and to have a living hope. That's what the enemy does. He tries to keep our mind here. To keep our mind on earthly things. Life in Christ gives us the ability to think about eternal life. It gives us the ability to set our mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. It gives us hope. Further here, it says, and take up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. The sword, God's word, this is our only weapon. The Bible, God's word, is our only weapon. We're told to take up this armor. We're told to put on this armor. And all of these things are about protecting us defending ourselves, and amen, that's God's heart, is that we would do so much to defend ourselves in the midst of the horrific battle that we're in the midst of. But he, amen, he's given us all the equipment and all of the ability we need in him, by him. It's his work, right? 
But further, he gives us just one weapon, his word. That's the only weapon. Not opinion, like we talked about before, but the truth of the word of God. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word, that, that says a lot there. That tells us how effective God's word is. It's the best answer for all our questions. It cuts deep. It convicts us. It's sharp. It pierces. It's powerful. And it's living. This is a living book. Many of you maybe and many people in the world think like, why are we listening to or paying attention to an old, dead, or dying book? This is the only living book there is. Every other book that's ever been written is dead or dying. It's an idea, and some of these things may be good books that are based on Scripture, but there's only one book that is alive and living and thriving and will never pass away, the Word of God. And all along the way, it is so useful as a tool in our hand to pierce, to battle, to resist. It penetrates hearts, and it eliminates the deception of the devil. Any doubt that's in your heart or mind, any deception that you've begun to believe, there is an answer in Scripture for it. Peter writes, he says, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Not thinking today, oh man, in the year 2022, does, does God's word really understand what we're dealing with? Yes, it does. And by his word, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Jesus gives this great example, proves this to be true. Matthew chapter four, you can turn with me. We're gonna close in Matthew chapter four here, reading verses one through 11. Jesus proves the word of God to be sufficient for the greatest battles here in Matthew 4. We'll read verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That sounds like spiritual warfare, right? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Rightfully so. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. It is written. It is written. You know what else is written? Christ is risen. That's the victory that we stand in. That's the place that we battle from. Christ is risen. He had victory over sin and over death and over the devil. And Jesus proved in this place, after being led away to the desert, after fasting for 40 days, and then the devil saying, hey man, you hungry? Turn that, into a, that rock into a, a piece of bread. In that state of physical weakness, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God, look at how powerful it is. Now Jesus rebukes the devil, not just out of an opinion. He rebukes him with the word of God. The devil even, the deceiver, tries to twist the word of God. He says, well, also it is written. And see, that's what happens too. In the world today, we have many deceivers. We have many that are twisting the word of God to fit some sort of ideology. I won't even call it theology. It's ideology. To try to preach from a pulpit something that's not the truth. It's an opinion. It's false doctrine. That's what the devil does. That's what he does with Jesus. But Jesus proves him wrong time and time again by what? The truth of the word of God. It's a weapon. This doesn't just protect, but it eliminates the threat. And Jesus rebukes the devil with the word. We need to use the sword of the spirit, but you know what? In order to be able to use the sword, you gotta practice. Sometimes we take up a sword and we're like, eh, watch out. You're going to be chopping ears off like Peter, right? But that's what we do. We're dangerous with the sword sometimes. we got to practice. we got to dig into the word of God. we got to study the scriptures, but further, guys, we've got to memorize scripture. Far too often we'll just read something and be, oh, that's nice. That's a nice thing. Thank you for the encouragement, God. But if we memorize scripture... Guess what? That's in the arsenal of weapons. And when the enemy comes to attack, we've got more. We've got more promises. We've got more truth of the word of God that's all locked up in here. And look, all of this kind of points us back to God's word, right? It protects our minds. It protects our hearts. It's our, it's our sword. It's our weapon for battle. But God's word is useful. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word is truly that it is God-breathed. It's given by inspiration, it's profitable. It's useful. It's effective for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's got everything we need. The Bible contains all the answers to all of our questions. It answers all of our doubt. 
And the Bible has answers to all the things that the devil tries to use against us. Practice, practice using the sword. Don't just wait till you come to church on Sunday and depend on our time in the word to be your practice. Get into the word of God. Use it. Memorize it. Practice God's word. We can memorize scripture so that we can strengthen or sharpen our weapon. We need God's word for the battle. And we need God's word for everyday living. And so this week, we're going back to Sunday school. We've got a memory verse as a church. And maybe we'll practice this a little bit more often even. Because it's so powerful. And simply this week, we're going to put it up on the screen even for you guys. Just Hebrews 4.12a. I'm not even asking that much of you guys. Just the first half, right? But we're going to work on this. And we're going to, look, I hope to hear from you guys even next week. Hey, memorize that verse. And maybe you already have it memorized. But dig in. It's so useful. And so let's together, let's recite Hebrews 4.12a. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. God is so glorified, guys, right now. We just proclaimed the truth of the word of God together, and the devil is trembling. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have prepared us. You've made a way And that you're for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you first loved us. We pray, Lord, I pray for this this word to sink in. That we would actively be putting on and taking up this armor and preparing to use the armor that you've equipped us with. walking by faith and not by sight, digging into and memorizing your word and knowing that you're near as you speak to us through your word, God. We love you. We thank you that you're so faithful. Move in our hearts. As I said earlier, you know, all of these pieces of armor can point us back to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's truth, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. There's the Word. It's Jesus. And the Word of God is all about Jesus. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he desires a relationship with every one of you. And if you don't have one, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him, to put your trust in him today. We talk about salvation and putting on this helmet and and righteousness and being clothed in righteousness. It's in Christ It's only through relationship with Jesus Christ that we can be equipped. 
And so I invite you today. If you've never given your heart to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, would you put your trust in him today? I invite you, if you'd like to do that right here and now, would you put up your hand? God bless you. Anybody else? You put up your hand, and I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer that is outwardly making a profession of faith, proclaiming the truth of what you believe. Anybody else? Today, you'd like to put your trust in Jesus, to invite him into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. One more moment here. You can pray this prayer with me. If you raised your hand, you can pray, say, Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I give you my heart. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. Invite you in to be my Lord and my Savior. I need you. I believe in you. Would you make me new? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.